Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehocraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers through the years. Uh, And it really is a a privilege to be able to talk about one of my favorites this evening. That is St. Bernard of Clairvaux, an absolute towering figure of the Middle Ages. And when you talk about St. Bernard of Clairvaux, you are talking about one of the great doctors of the Church, which we will talk about here in a little bit. And it is Tuesday evening, and I am also excited to welcome John O'Hare back, who has been away for one reason or another over the last month, month and a half. So, John, great to have you back with me another evening. Nice to be back in the saddle again, Joe. (laughs) So, John, we have the opportunity to talk about this great saint, again, another doctor. He is known as the Doctor of Eloquence uh, because of just not his uh, insight into um, theology and philosophy and rhetoric, that great term that we hear so often, but also in the ways in which he was able to communicate the faith, preach the faith, teach the faith. What we see in this great saint is what we've seen uh, with some of our other figures, huh, John, where people travel far and wide just to hear them speak. This is the kind of power they had in their preaching. Their preaching was something that was guided in the Holy Spirit and really touched many hearts. You know, we see this a little bit today where people will go long distances just to hear someone speak, just to be in their presence. And what you had in this doctor of eloquence was that in spades, people traveling far just to be in his presence. To be a man who speaks eloquently is also to be a man who invites others in to conversation with God. And certainly, John, when you talk about this doctor of eloquence, that was part of what made him so special, huh? That by his very words, he was inviting people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Doctor of Eloquence came around, I think, 1146, when he preached the Second Crusade Mm -hmm. at one of the monasteries. And uh, I don't know how enthusiastic people were, but after he finished his homily, Mm -hmm. people signed up to go to these crusades and they did not have enough crosses to pass out Mm -hmm. for their uniform. That's how eloquent he was. Mm -hmm. He was the clerical celebrity of his day. Yes, he very much was. And, you know, when you look at St. Bernard of Clairvaux, here's a man who he, he, like other saints and other doctors we've talked about, had their hand in many, many things. And so his popularity went beyond uh, clerical circles or ecclesiastical circles. Certainly, he touched many people. And so this is why... Um, he is regarded as one of the last fathers, if not the last of the fathers. Uh, Pope Pius XII penned an encyclical calling him the last of the fathers, but no less important than any of the early church fathers. Correct. John, uh, we treated all of the early church fathers, and we made note as we were getting into the 5th and 6th century, we are now out of that time period of how we typically think of the church fathers, how we traditionally think of the church fathers, yet... We went on speaking to what are called the Lasting Fathers, the likes of a St. John Chrysostom and others. 
But here we are, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, probably arriving at, for all intents and purposes, well, as, as Pope Pius XII called him, the last of the fathers, because of the ways in which he infused the theological discussion with spiritual theology. And uh, for all intents and purposes, you look at St. Bernard of Clairvaux, and we do see a man who uh, has written a great deal, and everything that he has written had a deep mystical spiritual component, and it was just seen as that important. So in many ways, him being declared a doctor of the Church uh, is seen in light of uh, this deeper wisdom that comes to us from this contemplative insight that he always had. He was a monk. I like to compare him a little bit to uh, Pope Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great mm. wanted to be a monk. He winds up being Pope, and now he's thrust into the world, and he has to attend to this. He would really rather be contemplating God and doing monk stuff, but he could not. Mm-hmm. And I think the same happened with Bernard of Clairvaux. His dates were 1090 to 1153. He lived a pretty good life born into a good family in the Burgundy section of France. And monasteries were changing at this time. We remember St. Benedict and uh, the Benedictines, uh, but that was 500 years ago, and they, things were beginning to change, and they felt they had to get back to a stricter rule. And several new attempts to do this started about this time. One of them was in Cito, about uh, 1098, I believe, and... When he was about 20 years old, Bernard went there along with 30 friends, and they were going to become monks, which they did. And uh, they showed up. He was about 21, 22 at the time. And then two years later, they sent him off to Clairvaux to found a new monastery, which he did. And he remained at Clairvaux for the remainder of his life. Not, I mean, he left a lot, mm-hmm. but he was the abbot of Clairvaux. I assume abbot comes from the word Abba, father. Mm-hmm. So that was what he did. Now, these monks, they took the vow of poverty, chastity, obedience, and also stability of place. They were not, they weren't really supposed to go from monastery to monastery, as opposed to a later change in monastic life, in which we have the mendicants. Their job was to wander around from mm-hmm. city to city doing their, uh, whatever the Dominicans did and whatever the Franciscans did. But anyway, he was essentially a, a monk, and Pretty soon, he got involved in various church things. One would be the disputed papal election over Innocent II and Antiochus II. Mm-hmm. The next one uh, would be uh, the Second uh, Crusade. And the last one would be, uh, can you believe it, university professors were causing difficulties for the church, <laughs> and he got involved in that with a man named Peter Abelard, mm-hmm. and they were going to have a great debate. Uh, Peter Abelard didn't show up for the debate, so yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. uh, St. Bernard won by default. And also his writings were just huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned the reform there, John, and I want to focus in on that a little bit because it is very much relevant uh, today. And by that I mean all throughout the history of the Church, we have seen the rise of orders and the fall of orders. And often what happens, and I just think it's due to human nature, is we get complacent, you know, and we slip into this way of life that is no longer living out faithfully the charism of the founder. Um, So either the order dies out, or there is a reform. And of course, in this case, as you were speaking to it, there was a reform within the Benedictine community. And this reform brought about a huge renewal. It is worth noting that under this reform, John of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, you had an exponential rise in vocations and in numbers. Now, 
Why do I talk about this? Fast forward 900 years, and what do you have? All you have to do is stay within the United States of America, John, and you will look and find that there have been a number of reforms within communities or just new communities because other communities are dying out. And in those new communities, there is great renewal taking place in the life of the church. And I'm thinking of uh, the CFRs, which was a reform of the Capuchins, Father Benedict Rochelle's community. Ever since its founding, it has been growing exponentially. And I'm thinking of some women religious, certainly the missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's order. Uh, It's huge. Uh, And how about the Dominican sisters up in Michigan, Uh, another community that is exploding, Uh, the TUR sisters, uh, the female branch of of the Franciscan friars who oversee Steubenville, another community that is growing and expanding. And what you're seeing is in this more radical life, there is something that is drawing the young. And what is drawing the young is the gospel incarnate, right? It is to remember, if you were to go back to uh, the exchange between uh, then Francis of Assisi and the Pope, uh, they were looking at each other, the cardinals that were in that circle saying, well, we haven't really seen this before. And by that, I mean the conduct that Francis was laying out to live by. And one cardinal steps forward and says, this looks like the gospel to me, you know, and ultimately they call Francis back after he left, and he says, you know, start an order. It wasn't um, the intention of then Francis of Assisi to have started order, he was just simply following the gospel, Mm -hmm. and in doing so, people were attracted to him, following the gospel in a radical way, huh? Remember the word radical means root, okay? So, uh, very important, and so this is what we see, John, with the Cistercians, this is what we see with what St. Bernard of Clairvaux started. And uh, we need to be present to this, because certainly um, this is what's going on today. People willing to leave everything behind and following Jesus, this radical call to leave everything behind and follow uh, Jesus wherever he goes, wherever he takes us. When he uh, retired or died, there were 700 monks at Clairvaux alone. Mm -hmm. 380 monasteries he helped found in France, mm. Germany, Ireland, and maybe elsewhere, hugely influential. And we have a Cistercian home here in Chico. Yes, yes. That's out in Vina, and they are called the OCSO, Order of Cistercians of the Strict Order. So uh, they're still around. I don't think they're quite as vibrant, I mean, as far as drawing vocations, as they were in Bernard's day, but others have taken their place. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm, That's I'm, right. And we have to wait and see if the missionaries of charity and other groups uh, continue 100 years from now to to draw women to them and elsewhere. That's right. That's right. So you had mentioned some of his writings and some of the things that he was noteworthy for, John. One of the things that I was struck by was uh, something you see in the Church Fathers is that they, you know, they were defenders of heresy. Remember what the word heresy means, coming from the Greek word that means opinion or choice? Uh, where there's an absence of obedience to uh, the faith, uh, you often find heresy. And so the heresy of his day was um, a a heresy that was led by the Cathars, which was an absence of belief into the importance of matter and certainly the human body. Okay, we've seen this before, John. (laughs) Heresies tend to um, cycle themselves from one uh, century to the next. And so in this heresy, then, you had... Um, really in an absence of uh, believing in God who is creator. Uh, but to the importance of the human body, we have to appreciate 
uh, the human body for what it is. Uh, we've been talking, John, each and every Thursday uh, on theology of the body, and in that we've been discovering that there's a beautiful sacramentality to our bodies, huh? That ultimately they communicate something that comes from the interior life. For example, if I'm happy, I laugh. If I'm sad, I cry. You see tears. If I'm uh, embarrassed, I'm, I may turn a shade of red, okay? There's a sacramentality to our body, uh, and by that, again, our bodies communicate something. They communicate the interior life. Uh, what's more, within the context of sexuality, the Church has always seen that the sexual urge is a good thing. You know, it is that raw material for that more authentic love to develop. I mean, eros points to agape. This has been our running theme Correct. each and every Thursday. So when we look at the human body, we have to be careful to see it as something that is bad, but ultimately a gift that is good and oriented towards something that actually leads us to God. Uh, this is why a, a heresy like that um, is so dangerous. Well, he wrote a lot. I think he wrote every day. He left uh, quite a body. Mm. And now I'm skipping ahead, but he wrote 86 uh, pieces on the Song of Songs. Mm -hmm. Canticle of Canticles is called in some pieces. Now, the first word, I believe, the Song of Songs is, let him kiss me with the kiss of his mouth. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's, but that, remember, we're talking about yeah. a mystical union here. Yes. Yeah, and so you're using the body to uh, kind of reference joining yourself with God. Mm -hmm. And and this was intended, this 86 pieces on the Song of Songs was intended for monks. If you're going to meditate, you try to communicate your emotional insides with God. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the kiss, so to speak, uh, I mean, a real spiritual kiss of God. That's yeah, what you're looking for. Yeah, that's right. That opening verse very much speaks to the essence of mystical theology, John, which is these religious experiences we have with God in the ordinary, but ultimately out from those experiences and encounters, we, we have this uh, keen conviction now that uh, what belongs to the beautiful, what belongs to the greatness um, that we experience is not of this world, but of God. And more specifically, and I think this gets to um, that opening verse, that in mystical theology, the physical is an icon of the supernatural, yeah. okay? You just don't look at something, right, and just leave it. No, you look at something, you look into it, you look through it, you look beyond it, you look underneath it, and in doing so, you look at it, well, as we would speak to an icon, as a window into another reality. So mystical theology uh, uses physical language so as to contemplate God's mystery. And that is so important when you start talking about the language that certainly St. Bernard of Clairvaux used because he himself was a mystic. You know, we were talking earlier, John, before we came on air about one of his most famous pupils who became a pope, right? And uh, he left him a work, uh, How-To Manual, to, to be a better pope. And one of the keen insights he gave was, you know, you don't, you don't learn about God exclusively through uh, a book or, or a discussion. But through prayer do we come to understand the deeper meaning and inner life of God? Yeah, that was Eugenius III. Now, two popes before that was Innocent II, mm. and that election was controversial. And Antilochus II was also the other pope. Like Now, King Louis VI of France asked Bernard, uh, still a rather young man, to try to get this thing settled. 
And he left Clairvaux and traveled all around. He wrote letters and he talked to people and he was able to get the various sides to agree on Innocent II as the Pope. Now that showed diplomatic talent, shall we say. Mm -hmm. So from Mm -hmm. at this point on, he is quite a celebrity and the Cistercians uh, kind of took off. And then Eugenius was a student of his. He was a monk at Clairvaux and, uh, and, and St. Bernard of Clairvaux was his teacher. So he had a little influence with Eugenius and it was Eugenius who asked him to get the Second Crusade started. Yeah, and as you noted earlier, John, it was uh, one of his very famous speeches, a, a speech of great power and eloquence that really invigorated uh, many of the people to follow his words and ultimately to gird themselves and to fight for God. Uh, We're going to talk much more about this again in in upcoming weeks when we talk about the Crusades, but certainly, again, he was a a man of influence. And so here you have a man that, as you speak to, he he is widely popular and he had uh, a lot of diplomatic savvy Um, But he was also a man who had a great devotion to both Jesus Christ and Mary, the Mother of God. You know, we were just talking about mystical theology. Uh, That drove many of his writings. Um, It's to remember that when you talk about prayer and you talk about the theology of Jesus Christ, these two overarching principles of Christianity belong together. Why? Prayer first and foremost, starts with Jesus Christ. We must always remember that whatever denomination you belong to, it always starts with Jesus Christ. This is clear in the Gospels. He is the door. He unveils the face of the Father. And so you enter into prayer, you're entering into relationship with Jesus Christ. What was very important to St. Bernard of Clairvaux was to understand prayer as friendship with Christ. Prayer as friendship with Christ. So you pray to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ takes you to the Father so that you might come to understand the greatness of the Father's love. And then you call upon the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit does for us in our prayer is it gives us understanding of Jesus Christ, right? A deeper understanding of who Jesus Christ is in our relationship with Him. And so, in many ways, um, and now I'm thinking of uh, one Romano Gardini, we are called to pray the Trinity in that. Romano Gardini is uh, really reflecting upon St. Bernard of Clairvaux. So his devotion to Jesus Christ uh, was high priority. In fact, there's a great uh, quote here that comes to us from the writings of St. Bernard of Clairvaux, where he says this, that Jesus alone is honey in the mouth, song to the ear, jubilation in the heart. He would go on to say, all food of the soul is dry, unless it is moistened with this oil, insipid unless it is seasoned with this salt. What you write has no savor for me unless I have read Jesus in it. What is he saying? Jesus is the essence of theology. Jesus is the essence of our prayer. Jesus is the essence of our discussion. Put the name of Jesus on your lips, and you will be well on your way to discovering the depth and the mean of everything that you do. This is what lies at the heart of this man, and this is why he was such a fervent man, defender of the faith, and one who was always seeking to bring souls to Christ. And because of this, John, oh, by the way, because of this, did his devotion to Mary increase. St. Bernard of Clairvaux might be regarded as, if not the greatest, one of the greatest Marian theologians because of his contributions. So 
We talk about Jesus, and certainly we should talk about Mary. Had tremendous devotion to Mary. And if you do the Liturgy of the Hours, I want to point out to you, um, December 20th, uh, right just before Christmas, there is, uh, well, let me read to you just two paragraphs from him. This is what he says about the Virgin Mary. You have heard, O Virgin, that you will conceive and bear a son. You have heard that it will not be by man, but by the Holy Spirit. The angel awaits an answer. It is time for him to return to God who sent him. We, too, are waiting, O Lady, for your word of compassion. The sentence of condemnation weighs heavily upon us. The price of our salvation is offered to you. We shall be set free at once if you consent. In the eternal word of God, we all come to be, and behold, we die. In your brief response, we are to be remade in order to be recalled to life. He knew what was at stake mm-hmm. in the Annunciation and in her acceptance. And he knew how important she was, that without her yes, I don't know where we'd be. Yeah, and what lies underneath that, John, is the interior attitude of faith, right? Um, one of the things that, that uh, Bernard of Clairvaux focuses in on is Mary as model disciple and as one who exalted all virtues. So when we come to appreciate and understand who she is as model disciple, which starts with her yes and her interior attitude of faith, uh, then we can begin to see the importance of, at the very least, imitating her. And so what do I mean by interior attitude of faith? That is uh, to be in relationship with God, not yet in action. And by that I mean to be disposed to say yes to God, right? This is the greatness of Mary. She said yes. She could have said no. We forget this, John. We forget this, that this is a woman who had a free will. Just as Eve said no, Mary says yes. And in her yes, as St. Bernard of Clairvaux speaks to it so beautifully, salvation enters into human history. And uh, this is very important, and many have speculated, many theologians have speculated into what would have happened if she said no. Neither here or there for this radio program. Bottom line is, she said yes. Yes. And from that point on, um, did she journey with uh, Jesus to the foot of the cross, where she said yes every step of the way. So we follow Mary's footsteps to the foot of the cross, and what we discover is a woman who had a profound love, not only for her son, but as it is revealed at the cross for all of humanity, right? Because we know those words that come to us from John 19, verses 25 to 27, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. At that moment, she becomes all our mother. And what's so important for us, John, is to realize that none of this would have taken place if this simple woman from Nazareth didn't say yes in that annunciation. One little incident about St. Bernard de Clairvaux, that he was a great prayer. Mm. He prayed. And what is the number one enemy of prayer for someone like me? Distraction. Hmm. I think he was so focused on what he did. I mean, he, you know, I don't, I don't think he got distracted. I think he, he, what, he, he knew what he was going to do. It could be a frustrating thing. It could be a frustrating thing. Yeah, I mean, he just, he just lasered right in yeah. on whatever the thing he had to do, and he did it. Yeah. God bless him, yeah. It's virtuous, John, to not get distracted. Uh, and if one does get distracted when you're deep in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you identify it for what it is. One of the things that we have been talking about from one week to the next, if not from one month to the next, is the ways in which Satan works in our lives and how we can better identify that. Well, let us remember 
what Satan means, right? It's, it is to distract, to, to confuse, to, to throw something in the middle of the road. Yeah. And when you are in a deep union with Jesus Christ, you can identify that for what it is. Yeah. And so you're not caught up in the distraction as much. Was St. Bernard of Clairvaux a sinner? Of course he was. We all are. But some men, some women, step up and rise up and live in deeper charity yeah. because of their union. It is always to remember John, and this is what I remind myself, we are distracted less the deeper we go in our relationship with Jesus Christ because we've uh, been given that, well, as St. Bernard of Clairvaux talks about it, illumination into the ways in which um, just not the adversary works, but how Jesus wants to work in each and every moment of our life. This is an earmark of just not the doctors of the church, but of all the saints, for sure. He was asked to handle a, uh, a university professor who was brilliant, Peter Abelard. Mm. Now, Peter Abelard is not a saint, and he uh, hooked up with a woman named Heloise, who was a, a niece of some powerful person in Paris. And she, she's very bright, he's very bright, and they fell in love, mm-hmm. and they had a child. And they thought this was okay, because, you know, we're really bright, and we know what we're doing, we know mm-hmm. all about God. Peter Abelard said some things which... Uh, may have been heresy, and a debate was set up between St. Bernard of Clairvaux and, and Peter Abelard, and Peter Abelard didn't show up. And I'm thinking, you juxtapose these two people, their saintliness, mm-hmm. and you can see why he didn't show up. Mm-hmm. I mean, here was the genuine article, and here was someone who was, well, and I'm not saying he was necessarily sinful, I don't know. Yeah. But you, when you compare the two, I mean, I don't blame him for not showing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's something about St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Did he have the intellect? Of course he did. Yes. But remember what we've already said. Understanding does not come exclusively from the intellect. Correct. In fact, I have spoken to this before, John. You know, when you look at the temptation narrative, Satan has supreme intellect. He's looking at the suffering of the Son of God, and he thinks based upon his intellect that now is the time to seize the moment. Now is the time to, to tempt the Son of God, and he will fall. Yeah. But what he didn't realize is that in that fasting, he was actually going deeper into God. He did not have access to the wisdom of God. So Satan, who has supreme intellect, has no access to wisdom, that deeper understanding of how God works, gotcha. right? And so Satan, because he has no knees was duped. There's a great line here from Benedict XVI. He says, St. Bernard, grounded on the Bible and on the fathers of the church, reminds us that without a profound faith in God, nourished by prayer and contemplation, by an intimate relationship with the Lord, our reflections on the divine mysteries risk becoming an empty intellectual exercise and lose their credibility. Pope Francis, in his work, Joy of the Gospel, says... (laughs) If you don't pray, then every exercise of Christianity has the possibility of being a great failure. I mean, that's rich, and we need to be astute to this point. In his book on consolation to Eugenius III, he emphasizes that. Okay, you're Pope. What good does a shepherd need for gold? All you gotta mm-hmm. do is lead your sheep. Don't get involved in the minutia of the numerous hassles that are gonna come to Rome. Mm-hmm. Your job is to lead the church in holiness and in truth, and you can see the, the holy monk in him in his advice on consolation to you, his former student. Amen. Amen. Well, with that, John, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. 
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.